Welcome back to The Strawman Investor. I'm your host, Andrew Page, and in today's episode, you'll be hearing from the team at SDI, Australia's largest dental manufacturer, and one with a history that stretches back over 40 years. Although a relatively small company by global industry standards, it's one that has more than held its own, and as you'll hear, has delivered attractive returns to long-term shareholders. Samantha Cheatham is the Chief Executive Officer of SDI, having taken the reins from her father and founder of the business, Jeffrey Cheatham, two years ago. Together with company veteran, CFO, and Chief Operating Officer, John Slavero, we discuss the history of the business, its current operations, and plans for the future. I really hope it gives you some good insight into the company and a better understanding of the investment potential. I start by asking Sam if she could provide an overview of the business. So SDI is based in Melbourne and uh, well about an hour outside of Melbourne in Bayswater and we manufacture uh, predominantly fillings for teeth and tooth whitening products and accessories to go with um, both those categories. Uh, we uh, have been in the business, we, SDI started in 1972. My parents actually started SDI and it became a listed company in 1985. And uh, we started as an amalgam manufacturer and uh, amalgam being the the silver fillings in your teeth and over time the the sales of amalgam have uh, declined uh, because of the way the, the consumers would prefer to have white tooth coloured uh, fillings and uh, SDI invests a huge amount into R&D research and development of stronger filling materials whiter filling more natural colored fillings and tooth whitening we have a, a fully uh, blown two r&d teams one working on the chemistry side and one working on the delivery system side and we export all well 90 percent of what we manufacture to outside of the country uh, we have distributors in all over the in many many countries middle east south america asia and our own uh, our own uh, uh, offices in North America, in Chicago, uh, Brazil, in South America, and Germany for Europe. We have sales teams all over Europe and USA, Canada, and Brazil. And very, very focused on the export market. But really, back in Australia, we are focused on developing and innovating our uh, white filling uh, materials and the tooth whitening products. Yeah, and you mentioned that long history. And um, so digging around beforehand, it, it has been an impressive one since you guys listed in 85 annual sales grown at about eight percent or so per year uh, even in the last five years it's uh, nudging up on about six percent or so per year it's also interesting to note for a company that's been around that long correct me if i'm wrong but i don't think you've raised capital once we actually did once in the 90s in the yeah, okay rights, right rights issue after right. That. okay um and shareholders have done pretty well. So about a 15% per annum average annual return over the last decade, a good form of that, a good part of that in the form of dividends. But you touched on there before that there's been an evolution with the business, um, starting off with this silver amalgam product and transitioning uh, into these, these um, more even aesthetic and, and more uh, whitening type products. Um, how, how far has that story played out? And how much further do you think it has to go? The amalgam story. Well, the amalgam story is actually a great story because, I mean, STI has had that product. We've had that product. We haven't had to do too much R&D for the last 20 years on it. And uh, it's produced a lot of uh, uh, profit for STI. But in terms of how many years, um, has, how many more years does it have, we're estimating 10 to 20 more years. We believe uh, it's still an excellent product for lower socio 
uh, economic uh, patients in the in, in Australia, North America, etc., but also in the developing world as more patients can afford dental care. And uh, it should be around uh, for at least 10 years, possibly even 20. Right. So with the, the proportion of your sales from Amalgam declining, is that's a combination or more, perhaps more to do with the rise of the other products, is it? Absolutely, yes, okay. yes. I'm keen to understand the nature of the industry. Who are the bigger players and how do you guys fit in with all of that? Okay, well, well, the biggest dental manufacturer is Dentsply. They're an American company. There's 3M uh, Dental, which uh, 3M has a big health division called, and it's called 3M Dental. Uh, we have uh, Kerr, which is an American company based uh, in the US, uh, owned by Danaher, a big uh, company that's also listed. Uh, and then we have a few small, smaller companies, which are still big relative to SDI. There's GC in America, uh, in Japan, which is a uh, Jap- uh, 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 white filling uh, 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 focus. We have uh, Coltine in Switzerland, which is probably the best com- uh, comparison to SDI. Uh, that's a listed company in Switzerland. And we also have Ivoclar Vivident in Liechtenstein. Okay. All, all, uh, all operating on similar high cost bases like SDI here in Australia. Right. Yeah. So, and what would you say would be your, roughly speaking, your market share with, within that cohort? Uh, it's very, very difficult to work out, yeah. but I would say probably 1% to 2%. Right. Yeah. So how, how is it that you, you guys have managed to sort of have this consistent growth in sales when you're up against people of much larger scale? Uh, I, I don't think half the time they even notice us, so um, it's probably good. But uh, we, we are in, here in Australia, we have quite good market shares and we uh, show the dentists our quality, we show them the research, we show them, uh, uh, we have key opinion leaders behind our products and uh, we, we really focus on the innovation. Uh, originally, many, many years ago, we had a great product um, that, that we uh, were able to get in and give them a lower price, but now the products are uh, competing at their levels and uh, the dentists are looking for the high quality which we are and we we compete very well with those companies I just mentioned. Mm. And what what would you say the major dynamics are within the industry at the moment? Is everyone sort of um, facing with this shift from amalgam to higher end products? Are there other factors that are at play? Look, amalgam in terms of a filling material has become less and less so there's only a few players like SDI in Mm. it. Um, Half of those players I mentioned before don't even manufacture amalgam. Right. Um, There's only about four or five that we compete with around and and um, the, the, the white filling market is uh, definitely, without a doubt, the biggest one. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested too. It seems, from an outside perspective, this is a fairly acyclical industry. It's not something where the demand for your products, to me at least, wouldn't seem to shift too much whether the economy is booming or in a recession. Is, is that a fair statement? Pretty fair. I mean, if you've got a, a, a sore tooth, you have to go to the dentist or you're in a lot of pain. So so in that sense, yes. But really, if, if times are really tough, they, there, will, there will be a decline in the number of patients going to the dentist. And some people will just take medication or get the tooth pulled, right. which... Um, is the extreme case. Uh, or maybe defer some of the aesthetic kind of work that is done. Absolutely, yes, yeah. absolutely defer that. You don't have to have it done. Okay. Yes. Do you notice any any change or any structural kind of shifts within the actual customer base itself as well? Is dentistry changing in terms of the 
the number and scope and, and structure of practices? Is it becoming more commercial, more aggregated? Is anything there that's sort of playing out for you guys? There's, there's a, in Australia, um, USA and a few of the other countries, UK is another one, where there's consolidation of the dental practices. Uh, like here in Australia, there's uh, companies like 1300 Smiles and, right. and Pacific Smiles, yeah. uh, where one company owns x number of practices mm -hmm. and uh, so for us that makes makes it uh, in some ways easier because mm -hmm. uh, we deal with less people in terms of the purchasing decision but also we have to then go down on our price mm -hmm. so um, in the end I think it's a good thing for the industry there's a lot of inefficiencies and uh, uh, you know having thousands of one or two man shops is mm -hmm. probably extremely inefficient yes right yeah. Uh, in, in terms of the industry itself, is it something where you, you see there is to be any sort of barriers to entry there? If I somehow found myself with a billion dollars and thought, right, I'm going to compete in this space, um, it's probably unlikely. But if, if it were to happen, are, are there things such as your distribution net, uh, networks, um, uh, uh, patent protection, um, um, these kinds of things, regulatory approvals that give you guys a bit of protection from outside competition? Absolutely. Um, probably the biggest one is the regulatory approvals. Right. They take forever. Your factory must be... Um, uh, like, we have to get um, approval for TGA here, that we have to get CE for Europe, uh, FDA for USA, then there's Health Canada and Visa for Brazil, and the list is endless. Every country, you need their approval. And uh, it, it's becoming tougher and tougher to get the approvals. There's stricter things we have to do. Uh, the, they they, they um, look at every single process we have to make the product from start to finish mm -hmm. and uh, it's a very tough uh, paperwork trail. Mm -hmm. So that's a big um, uh, hinder, uh, barrier to entry. The mm -hmm. distribution network for us has taken years. Uh, we have distributors uh, in uh, over 100 countries. Mm -hmm. Many of them are handshake agreements. They are strong relationships that, uh, you know, many of them only sell our product and... Uh, uh, you know, they're not going to risk giving up our line if someone else comes in and gives them their line. Right. Uh, they, they, we have a, it's very, very relationship built, um, uh, driven and uh, uh, really, really important for, for SDI. Right. And so the distributors, I guess, are, are your main customers um, that are there. What, what's the sales model um, in terms of trying to win new work or perhaps add more products to the pipeline? How do you guys go about that? It really is country-driven. Yeah. Each country has a different distribution model. Mm. Uh, here in Australia, we've got um, one, uh, dis the largest distributor, but we also sell direct. If we bring introduce a new product, uh, we put it immediately through our sales team who go and train the sales teams of the distributor and uh, then uh, everyone goes and shows it to the dentist. Yeah. Uh, in the US, we've got about uh, 100 distributors and again, our sales team over there will will go and uh, explain that to the dentist, uh, sorry, to the distributor and their sales team. But mm. But it does take time to actually change the dentist. The dentist, uh, you know, is very much reputation-based and if uh, the filling doesn't work, well, the patient will blame the dentist, certainly not the product. Mm. And so it does take a long time to convince the dentist to change from what they're using. And so hence why it does take SDI a while to get our new products any traction in terms of uh, new sales. Mm. As you mentioned though, you've, you've got a very um, concerted R&D effort and have for quite a while. Um, I think, if I'm correct, it was about 7% of operating profit or so that you commit to R&D um, with a couple of big teams. Um, you've had some new product launches recently and I think you've, you've 
guided for roughly one to two sort of new products per year. Is that a pace that you see continuing sort of over the next five to ten years or so? Yeah, absolutely. For the next um, few years, it's definitely one to two new products per year. Uh, this financial year, we're focusing on four, where there's a big um, uh, dental show happening in Germany next year, the International Dental Show, which is every two years. And uh, it's an opportunity for us to release to be in front of the the market and so luckily we've got four new products that have um, come off the pipeline and they'll they should be released uh, then but mm. generally speaking it's one to two per year okay. and so the following year it should go back to one to two right not zero okay sam in terms of the some of the new products that are coming out um you made mention of uh reva star as a dental sanitizer um i believe you're you're in the process of getting fda approval for that can you talk a bit about this particular product and the opportunity that you see? Sure. It, sure. It's, uh, we, we actually have FDA approval. We got it a couple of months oh, ago. Right. Okay. So, so um, it, we have uh, had it, uh, we've had CE in Australia, uh, CE in Europe and then TGA approval in Australia for several years. Mm-hmm. The product is very interesting. It's actually made up of two parts. Part A is actually quite old technology. It's silver diamine fluoride. And uh, that in itself is an anti-caries product. It stops decay. And uh, the, the, the problem with it, it's been around for many years, uh, which we know it works, but the problem with it, when you pl- paint that on the tooth, it turns the tooth black. So uh-huh. therefore we have a patent for the step two, which is made up of potassium iodide, mm-hmm. and that turns it back to white. We're the only company in the world that can sell it that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of interest from the US uh, uh, with this particular type of product. And I'll, I'll give you an example why. We've got a study in Victoria um, go, running with Dental Health Services, which is the community, um, sorry, which, is, which oversees the community health centres around the state. Uh, they've got a, uh, a few sites where they're uh, t- uh, bringing in children uh, who need dental care. Um, they've got heavily decayed teeth. And we've uh, approximately we've got a, they've seen about a hundred patients who have got shockingly decayed teeth, children, mm. and uh, most of the time, if if they weren't using our product, most of the time they would be sent to the uh, children's dental hospital to have uh, a general anaesthetic and have those teeth uh, extracted. You don't want to put your child under a general anaesthetic; it's dangerous. And uh, so what the study is doing there, instead of, where possible, they uh, instead of um, sending them off to the children's hospital, they are putting the Reva Star over the, the patient's tooth and sending them home. So therefore, they're not going under the general anaesthetic and they're um, uh, not going through the extraction of the tooth. And the it halts any further decay? Yes, it halts. Yeah. It, yes, it has to. If they haven't put something to seal it in, they have to keep reapplying it every six months. Yeah. But it's basically going to stop the decay and uh, make that tooth stronger because you want to have your children you want your children to have their teeth long as long as possible like we want our teeth for adults yeah. uh, and so the great thing is the child hasn't gone under the risk of the general anesthetic and the cost to the system is not the three or four thousand dollars it costs each each uh, the government to uh, put each child under general anesthetic but Basically, it's about 100 patients and about 90 of them haven't had to go through this procedure, right. where previously, before, 
all of them would. Right. So it's a super, it's a super um, public health product, yep. and uh, that those papers, uh, I believe, the, the research will be written up in the next couple of months. And when do you see this um, uh, going to market? Um, I would say in the next couple of months. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. So I'm really, seemed, I'm really yeah. hoping it's going to be very quick. Um, yeah, they know it works. It's 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 well documented. Yeah, right. Yeah. And and a, a pretty sizable market opportunity with that product. Yes, we th- we think so. It's all it, this sort of this sort of um, way to to market it through the public health is obviously endless it's all around the world uh, but in terms of size of the market we're not sure in terms of the business in terms of how it's structured at the moment um, do you have all the capacity to support all of these products and the hopeful growth that you will come in that or if not what kind of growth will there be to the cost structure right. over the next few years yeah well well when when the products are released um, they're usually using existing machines if they're an improvement on what we've already got okay or if um, we see the volumes really start to increase, we'll then look at if, if the, the current machine needs to be upgraded, we'll be looking at that. And we're very, we've, we've indicated for this year that we will be investing more into the factory, getting faster machines. It's really important. Yep. Uh, that helps just the, the general cost anyway. But mm. uh, in terms of capacity, if we, if we don't want to be late on our orders. Right, of so, course. So um, we, we, we look at it step by step and really in, uh, to ensure that the, the, the um, capacity is... We've, we've got plenty of capacity, let's say yeah. that for the moment. Yeah. I know on the year just ended too, um, uh, you were undertaking a cost out program as well, trying to improve productivity and efficiencies and all of that. Can you talk a bit how that's gone and, and what scope there is left for that? Yes. Yeah, so that was sort of our lean manufacturing process, yep. and uh, uh, and that's an ongoing uh, every day the way we work, the, f- the way is particularly the factory, the way the factory works. It um, it's wherever, uh, we, right down to the individual level of how they can improve the processes, mm. and uh, that's absolutely ongoing. Mm. Yeah. And, and the manufacturing is largely done in Australia. Yes. Um, yep. It's unusual these days. No, we've sort of dabbled in other areas a little bit. Um, we are very passionate about Australian manufacturing mm. and the faster our machines are, it doesn't really matter where that machine is. Right. Uh, we, uh, uh, that, that's one of the goals. But mm. we, we, probably the key thing for me is that we want to control the quality right. and uh, the products are very um, uh, sensitive to, to moisture, they're sensitive to heat etc and it's very difficult uh, when it's far away we just want them close to our research team close to them uh, to the the key business uh, making sure that the manufacturing is fully in control we've we've dabbled in other areas and we just we've just found it's much better to be at home right yeah um john maybe if i bring you in here and i ask about um some of the financials I guess that are outside of your control um, I know in the past silver price of course has been a yep. big uh, a big factor for you guys given it's a key component in amalgam yep. um, has that has is that still a very dominant sort of issue not as much now with the amalgam sales falling away uh, and the silver price has behaved itself for quite a while now mm-hmm. sitting at somewhere between uh, 14 15 thereabouts US dollars an ounce mm-hmm. uh, so we've become less if you like, less sensitive to the silver price mm-hmm. because of the amalgam dropping away. Right. Um, we did go through it well, a few years ago. It was uh, we, we did have a lot of um, uh, negatives against us. The silver price went up to $40, $48. In other days, it was selling over 50% of our sales were amalgam. Yeah. And also at the same time, the US dollar went close to $1.10. I remember. Yes, yeah. that was a shocking for, him, for exporters. That yeah. was a hard time. We got through it all. 
And, uh, you know, we've prospered since then. So at these currency rates and the less reliant on silver, um, yeah, it's, it seems to be uh, the risk factor is not as high anymore. I think I remember reading, it might have been a few years ago, that SDI was the largest purchaser of silver in, in, in the Australia. country. Is that yes, correct? Yes, it was. Yeah. Um, in, I guess when I started with the company about 18 years ago, about probably around 80% of our sales was, was amalgam, and we were buying like 400 kilos of silver a week. Wow. That's a lot of silver. Yes, it yes. Is. So uh, it's dropped away quite a bit since then. And yeah. you touched on currency as well, which is um, very important for a company that, mm. that exports 90% of its product. And yep. um, no doubt uh, yourselves and shareholders are relieved to see that fall back from $1.10 to the low 70s at yeah. this kind of stage. How do you manage that currency risk? Look, or it's um, the the currency is uh, when when it has gone, you know, to those hefty levels. We try and bring in as much natural hedging as we can. Uh, as you'd understand, we have operations in Europe, you know, uh, US. So we've got a lot of ex expenditure in those in those currencies. So yeah. we try and bring that natural currency effect more and more into into play. Um, we for example, we buy our silver in US dollars. Right. Right. So we sort of, um, more, our strategy is more on natural hedging rather than going out and uh, going to get expensive hedges and, you know, that that sort of financial product. Yeah, yeah. gotcha, gotcha. Mm -hmm. um, I guess that brings us forward to where we are today. And um, you guys have just released your results for the FY18 financial year. Um, it was a, it was, Modest growth, but it really was a tale of two halves, wasn't it? I was wondering yeah. if you could talk to that a little bit. Yeah, look, um, I, I could probably, Sam would probably give some comments on that too. Um, traditionally, our first half, second half has been around the 35, 65, 40, 60%. Mm -hmm. This was an unusual um, scenario, which Sam can go into some of the reasons for it, where it was nearly 2080. Um, right. So, but in saying that, there were some factors which we, we discussed at the half year that sort of gave us a fairly disappointing half year result. Um, the sales in the second half came in quite strong. Our margins improved in the second half, which was um, a, a mix of um, partly due to our product mix because our aesthetic sales came in quite strong. So giving us a higher margin. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was, uh, it was an, uh, from historical data, it was not the norm. Right. What happened? Yeah. Yeah. And but probably not, not to expect that same kind no, of mix that's going right. forward. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. So I don't know, if Sam. What no, I think you answered it all. That's, yeah. that's right. But maybe the other interesting thing you've touched on there, I know you, you mentioned in, in your um, presentation deck as well, is this this um, evolution of margins because of the shifting product mix. Um, as so amalgam, I think about a quarter of all of your sales at, at this point and probably likely to come down in, in, yep. the, in the coming years or so. Um, as you shift more to this higher margin stuff, overall, how does that look for the business? Well, we, we expect the margins would, would um, be stronger mm -hmm. uh, because we, we do uh, the margins are better on the non-amalgam products generally. But there's, a, there's three factors which affect that margin and it's quite complicated. Um, one is the product mix, one is the geographical mix, where the stronger sales come from. If they come from the developing countries, our margins are not as good. Okay. Uh, if they come from North America or Europe, yes, our margins are very good. Right. Um, and then you, and then if the currency behaves itself as well. Right. So there's a mix in there. Yep. Um, speaking of, of the different geographies there as well, you, you made mention of um, a major US 
distribute a restructuring uh, throughout the year as well. Can you give us a bit more, to use that horrible phrase, colour on that? <laughs> yeah, um, well, actually, that was Patterson Dental. Uh, yep. It's a listed company, so people can look that up. Mm. Uh, it's um, had uh, several uh, managing directors or, or presidents, I guess, uh, over mm. the last few years. They've had a lot of salespeople leave. And it's really caused a lot of uh, problems within the business. Uh, and for SDI, but other manufacturers who do report, they have also commented the same thing. So it has pulled us down in our US numbers. Uh, but I, I feel I'm visiting there next month. I, I believe that will sort of come to come back on track. Uh, having said that, you know, the dentists haven't gone away. So eventually they can buy from somebody else. So, um, you know, if, if they've moved from Patterson to another company, well, They'll be one of our other distributors. So right. the business um, is 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 there. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, in in terms of SDI, I guess it's despite its longevity and its success, it, it tends to fly really under the radar. And for whatever reason, um, it never really seems to attract a high multiple from the market. Is there something that you feel that investors misunderstand about the business? Yeah. Look, I think as a retail investor. Um, I think what they don't fully understand is the strong balance sheet of the company. It's financially sound. The balance sheet is well placed to reinvest into the business uh, to ensure the company's future growth and stability. Um, there's no debt to speak of. It has very strong free cash flow, I think about $7 million. That's uh, grown quite well over the last few years That's grown exceptionally. Um, we are returning a better dividend return to uh, investors. So I think that's probably not fully understood, um, you know, to have a, a solid, um, you know, safe company with a good return. I think that's a strong point uh, and reinvesting back into the future to ensure that continues. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And also too, it's, it's, it's a it's a public company, but it's very, you know, almost 50% owned, Sam, by your family. Does that, how does that influence your, your thinking in terms of um, long-term decision-making and dividend distribution? Does that, does that play, a, play a role in, well, this, in that thinking? Well, just sort of carrying on from John, it's really, you know, we're investing for the long term. Mm. And uh, we're, we, are, we are conservative. We, we, I, I do have three other brothers working in the business. Mm. One works in research, one uh, works in, as our European sales manager, and, and another works uh, as our art, IT manager. And uh, we're all focused very much on driving the business forward. Uh, but mm. it is uh, very much run by the management team, and, um, which are not just those three. Um, mm. There's uh, other managers, and very, we're all very focused on the long term. Mm. Uh, to survive, uh, you know, for the future, we need to keep innovative, uh, innovating, and uh, uh, really developing uh, the efficiencies in the business. Mm. I guess uh, since Sam's become CEO, um, she's gone about to put in a, a very good level of management um, mm -hmm. underneath her mm -hmm. um, to ensure that that you know that the company will survive if something goes wrong with some of the key people. Mm. Uh, those managers, like Sam said, are, are very focused on the long term. Mm. They are not those type of short-term managers that want a quick bonus and then get out. Uh, so they're very committed. And, and look, at the end of the day, um, I would say all the employees at SDI are very proud to be working for a successful manufacturing company, and that means a lot to them. Yeah. Uh, they are very focused. We have a lot of long-term employees there. Mm. Um, Yourself included. Myself included, yeah. yeah. Um, 18 years, did you say? 18 years, 18 years yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so, 
that idea of being Australian made and we're exporting, we're probably punching well well below, above our weight, I think. That's the right word. You know, we're a little Aussie battler. And I think that goes a little long way in, in uh, you know, the way the companies run. Great. Um, uh, g- given the strength of that um, balance sheet and the impressive rise we've seen in the free cash flow, what's the board's thinking in terms of dividends <coughs> going forward? Is there a set proportion of, of profits that you guys are targeting or is it case by case? Look, uh, the board committed to a minimum of, of 30% of the after-tax profit. Uh, we've been paying more than that and that's um, due to the underlying s- strength of the company, even though the top-line growth is there, but the underlying growth is very strong and also the board's confidence in the future of the company. There will, uh, I can't speak for the whole board, but I would imagine that dividends will increase incrementally every year, um, uh, especially if this strong free cash flow is, is going. We'll, like I said before, we'll put some more, reinvest into the business, and we'll give a bit back to the shareholders too. And just to sort of finish up, when um, we're looking out over the next five or 10 years, what are the, what, what's the, What's the strategy going forward and what are the key challenges you sort of see over that time frame? Yeah, well, the the strategy going forward is really focusing on the uh, white filling market Mm -hmm. and so therefore we've got to invest in the research on that um, to make sure that we're bringing out innovative products. Um, The the risk there is that someone else will get it uh, first before SDI. Uh, We can quickly adapt to what the the market changes to but we want to be the first Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, that's really focusing on innovation, working with research, other research teams elsewhere, different universities around the country, uh, right. outside the outside the country. Uh, but uh, we we really um, must focus on the innovation to mm-hmm. ensure that we're constantly um, either uh, up there with the best or leading. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and also going forward, the strategy is to invest in faster machines mm-hmm. so we compete with. Um, developing world manufacturers and uh, not worry uh, just because we're manufacturing in Australia. We, we, we are very committed to manufacturing in Australia and you do that with faster machines. Well, guys, before we leave, is there one last thing you'd like to say to investors out there? If there's a message you'd like to get across... Uh, to our listeners, what would it be? Well, perhaps following on from what John said, this little Aussie battler is uh, very serious about the world dental market and uh, we intend to be a big player in that market and we're, I've, I've really got the, the super team behind me to ensure that we will be that one of those players in the market. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you, Sam, and thank you, John. Thanks, Andrew. Well, there you have it. I really hope you got some value from my conversation with Sam and John. Of course, the purpose of this podcast is to neither endorse or reject any of the companies we talk to, but rather to leave you better informed as an investor and perhaps stimulate a bit of discussion. So if you're interested to see what other investors are saying about SDI and a host of other companies besides, jump on over to strawman.com where you can likewise have your say and join the conversation. You can always reach me on Twitter under the handle at sage underscore Simeon and be sure to reach out if you had any suggestions or feedback for future episodes. But until next time, I'm Andrew Page and you've been listening to The Strawman Investor.